Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We're talking about the Great Greenbelt Gaff, tiny homes in Hamilton, and a back-to-school COVID booster. Coach O joins the show. Happy anniversary to Kings Forest, and congrats to a powerlifting grandma from Bimbrook. The JMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, we are talking about the green belts once again because it is, well, a very important issue, especially for a community like ours where we're losing some green belt lands to propose development from the province. And now what we're hearing is that the premier, Doug Ford, has reportedly asked the Ontario Integrity Commissioner to review a senior aide's role in this whole housing development decision. You heard the premier yesterday saying, you know, the buck stops with him. He's taking responsibility. I guess this is his form of responsibility. And this all comes after Ontario's Auditor General said the province's decision to open the Greenbelt to housing construction favored developers with connections to the housing minister's chief of staff. Our review of the procedures used to amend the Greenbelt boundary in 2022 raises serious concerns about the exercise used, the way in which standard information gathering and decision-making protocols were sidelined or abandoned, and how changes to the Greenbelt boundaries were unnecessarily rushed through. I approved it. At the end of the day, I take full responsibility for the process. But I can tell you, we have a housing crisis, the likes of which this province in this country has never seen before. I think the Ford government has egg on its face. I mean, this is a whole ham and cheese omelet with sausage and bacon and Texas toast on the side. Lightly toasted, please. But, you know, this was an embarrassment for the Ford conservatives that we all saw coming. So what if anything happens next? Tim Gray is the executive director of Environmental Defense and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Tim, good morning. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. Before we get to what happens next, I'll offer you a chance to reflect on what has already happened and, and where we find ourselves now. Yeah, I think you summarized it well, but I think the Auditor General told us three really important things. One is that our provincial government uh, colluded at a political level with major selected developers to hand over $8.3 billion of potential profit from stripping lands that should be protected forever from the Greenbelt. Secondly, that the government's assertion they did this because it's going to solve in any way the housing crisis is untrue because there's thousands of hectares of land that have already been designated for development and way in excess of what we need to meet the province's housing targets. And then third, that the land really should go back into the green belt uh, because of the way that this was done. Hamilton's Mayor Andrew Horvath was on this show yesterday and said just that the government should abandon its development plan on the green belt. What do you think the odds of that happening are? Well, I guess we're going to have to see. Um, you know, there's a, a couple of uh, steps here um, that government is going to have to pursue if they really want to uh, see development go ahead. One is that they have to get cities like Hamilton and the other places where these lands are to rezone them. Um, they're still zoned for agriculture. Uh, so they would have to do that. The other is that they are going to uh, need to meet federal requirements for uh, legislation that's under federal jurisdiction, like the Federal Species at Risk Act, like the Federal Impact Assessment Act, etc. 
And then uh, thirdly, and probably most importantly, I think they need to convince Ontarians that um, this is not a, a corrupt practice um, and that uh, that the public should stand down and let this go ahead. And I think that's really unlikely. We all get it that homes need to be built. Affordable homes need to be built. And I know the Premier has called these homes that are going to be built on Greenbelt lands affordable and attainable. I kind of, you know, snicker at that. I don't think that is going to be um, uh, the case at all. And what what we all know as well, you just talked about rezoning. Like, this takes years to do. These homes aren't going to be built next week or next month or even next year. We're up against it here. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the government is going to try and push ahead development on these lands preferentially so that, uh, you know, that they, you know in their <clears throat> hope that it, it can't be stopped. But I, I think... You know, there's a bunch of things you said that are really important. One, the provincial government has stripped away from uh, Planning Act rules any definition of what affordability is. So they can just call any house, no matter how expensive it is, they can call that attainable, which is their new term now. So again, they're gaslighting Ontarians and, and talking about affordable homes, when really they're just talking about building big homes on, on rural farmland. And yes, of course, we need to address uh, the housing shortage in, in this uh, province and in this country. And in fact, the city of Hamilton had a plan to do so. They were going to build more homes, more affordable homes within the urban uh, boundary. Hamilton particularly has lots and lots of places within the urban boundary where redevelopment can occur, where we can build the variety of homes that people in Hamilton need at prices they can afford. The provincial government disallowed that uh, urban plan and instead imposed a plan that massively expands the urban boundary and goes on to the green belt, forces people into their cars, builds very expensive homes that no one can afford. So um, nothing that the provincial government is doing is pursuing a creation of building affordable homes. All of the changes they've made to planning, all of the attacks on the green belt are about providing opportunities for massive profits through land speculation for uh, developers that only build large homes on farmland. And that's what we're going to see on these lands if this uh, continues down the road it's going. Tim, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Tim Gray, Executive Director of Environmental Defense, as we chew on the Green Belt issue once again. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's talk about Hamilton's encampment protocol. If you missed it, it was made public just the other day online, and it's going to be up for debate uh, this coming Monday. And part of it, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of interesting parts to it. Part of it is a recommendation for a pilot project on something we've talked about on this show many times before, and that is a, a, a tiny shelter community or a little hub. Here to talk about it and give us some details is Tom Cooper, the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. Tom, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rick. All right, so this is, I think, some exciting news. We're seeing some progress in this kind of, you know, this protocol kind of take shape. And within that is this pilot project for these tiny shelters. What can you tell us about what is going to happen? Yeah, well, as, as you'll recall, Rick, we've been talking about this probably for more than 18 months now. And, and the idea is to build a small village of tiny cabins for people who don't have anywhere else to go, who, who might not be able to... Uh, go to traditional shelters, um, and it's really intended as a place to to keep people safe, to keep people stable, uh, get them healthy, and then transition them into more permanent supportive housing. Um, so, we've uh, the city has identified a uh, an area 
on Strachan uh, Street, just near uh, James Street North. It's uh, it's just north of uh, Leuna Station, uh, <laughs> near the uh, near the tracks. And um, so we're going to be uh, hearing on Monday, I guess, whether City Council uh, likes this idea. Uh, we've certainly, I think, put forward uh, a very bold vision on how we could roll this out. It would include uh, it would include fencing. It would include twenty four hour security. Uh, we'd have support services on on site twenty four seven, and and it's really an opportunity, I think, to try something a little bit different that hasn't been tried here in Hamilton, but has in other communities very successfully. When it comes to the cost, what are city councillors going to be looking at in terms of the price tag? <laughs> well, that's the good news for city council at this point. They're looking at it as revenue neutral. Uh, we've had uh, tremendous community support for this idea, Rick. Uh, we've had individuals, we've had local businesses, uh, foundations step up and uh, we think we can certainly get this started uh, without any taxpayer money at this point. Um, obviously, there's going to be uh, challenges looking at uh, how we roll this out over the long term, but nobody wants to do this long term. We, we really see this very much as a transitional project, and, and this particular site is identified uh, as a two-year pilot. Um, there may be uh, other opportunities down the road if housing hasn't been made available for those individuals yet to to continue it at a different site but as a, as of now the uh, the city's just planning two years at, at this particular site our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml is tom cooper the director of the hamilton roundtable for poverty reduction we're talking about this proposed two-year pilot project within hamilton's encampment protocol and this pilot project would set up 25 temporary tiny homes or tiny shelters on Strawn between James and Houston, fully funded by the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters. And as you heard Tom just say, fully fenced, security's in place. And you mentioned transition, and, and this is an important part of the equation because I would suspect that we don't want individuals in these tiny homes for the full two years. This is where they can stay for a, a, a shorter time frame and then move on to more secure housing. And that at the at the essence or the foundation of, of how we want this project to work. Yeah, it, it, it really is, Rick. We're not going to put timelines on individuals, of course, because everybody's healing is, go, is going to take a, a different approach. Um, there's lots of people out there who are experiencing homelessness for the first time. Uh, maybe they've been evicted just because they can't afford the astronomical rents and uh, they don't feel comfortable in shelters. So they see this as, as potentially an option for them, a, a lockable space where they can get safe. And, and once more housing becomes available, it may be fairly easy for them to transition into into that form of housing. Other people... Um, we'll call them a, a little bit more high acuity, uh, we'll, we'll take more support. And uh, that's why we'll have uh, support services there, medical professionals, healthcare professionals, to, to help people get ready uh, to be able to move into, into more permanent forms of housing. And that, that might take a little bit longer. So it all depends on the individual. We're, we're certainly not going to put deadlines on, on, on people, but uh, we, cer- we, think, we think this could certainly be a workable solution. So if City Council on Monday gives the green light for this to go ahead, how soon will we see this tiny home community set up on Strawn? Yeah, we're hoping to do it by December. Uh, we may do it in phase, in a phased approach, so maybe start with 10 or 12 and then move up to, to 25 over, over a period of, uh, of months. 
but uh, it's it's our hope if we get the green light from city council, we can we can get started right away. There's lots of individuals and and businesses out there in the community who said, yeah, we really like this approach. It's something new. It's something bold. Uh, we think it can help people, and and we'll support it. But uh, we want to know the city's behind it as well, and you have you have a place to go. So I think once um, once the community hears that uh, this project has the green light, we'll we'll continue to get more support financially and, and otherwise. Well, we will have a uh, reporter at the scene on uh, at City Hall on Monday to um, find out what is happening, how the vote goes down, and how this protocol is going to move forward, including this pilot project for these tiny shelters. Tom, appreciate your insight and uh, analysis into this, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Rick. Tom Cooper is the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As you do your back-to-school shopping, at least some of you doing your back-to-school shopping for the kids, the grandkids, there are parents in Hamilton and across the country who are not only doing so, but they're also encountering some news about a potential back-to-school COVID booster shot. We're seeing the signs of a mini surge. We're seeing increases in cases, but we're flying blind to a certain extent because we're not getting the same level of testing that we did, you know, years back throughout the pandemic. And so we don't fully have an appreciation for how big the surge is. That is Dr. John Brownstein with Harvard Medical School on reflections on the, this surge that we're seeing in COVID-19 infections. And it's it's nothing to get overly excited or concerned about, but it, it is a reality that this thing is still out there. Thomas Tenkate is the professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Professor Tenkate, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me back. So should our back-to-school shopping list, so to speak, should it include a COVID booster shot? What do you say? Uh, I think uh, overall, if, uh, if people are interested in getting a booster, I think that's a, that's a good idea. However, you know, for kids, you know, I think people have to you know, play it by ear, take it a bit more cautiously uh, you know, in terms of older adults and people at, at more at risk. I think it's a, a very good idea, but I think for kids, just sort of, uh, sort of weigh up, uh, you know, what you know, particularly for kids in, you know, often they have uh, issues with uh, injections and, and a range of, you know, sort of scared about it. So you have to sort of weigh up those options. I think um, broadly, the uh, you know, this is a natural progression in in the uh, the way the virus is mutating, and so we just have to just. Uh, just play it by ear at this stage. Is this latest COVID booster, is it targeting a specific mutation of Omicron? Is this something new that we're looking at? Yeah. So like, I think, you know, what, what you'd have to say is that the it's, it's uh, more focused on Omicron, but like one of the earlier variants or mutations of it versus what, what we're seeing right now. So we're in terms of uh, vaccines, we're always playing catch up uh, versus, you know, because of the time it takes to, uh, you know, pre- prepare the uh, vaccine, and so, so, what I would say is that it's going to be any booster will give you better protection from serious illness uh, from versus a previous uh, vaccine uh, vaccination, but it's not going to give you, you know, ultimate protection against whatever the currently circulating strain is. So, so you know, from that perspective, uh, it's going to if you 
worried about it and uh, you want the most protection in terms of protection against serious uh, impacts, then definitely the, uh, whatever the, the booster that's coming out will, will be, a, be a good option. But it's always going to be sort of uh, you know, playing catch-up to, to whatever the current circulating strain is. I, uh, I'm, I'm picturing some of our listeners, you know, rolling their eyes or, you know, throwing their hands up in the air thinking, oh, COVID yeah. booster, like we've been through this, COVID is over. And to a certain extent, yes, it is. Um, because we went through this years ago in, in the high vaccination rate that we had, like 80 percent plus in this country. How are we doing against this virus? It seems like we finally have, after, you know, three years, the upper hand. Yeah, oh, definitely there's, uh, you know, in terms of case case numbers as in cases that we're able to identify as well as uh, the 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 what we call the viral load in the wastewater systems to you know all all of those are at much lower levels than what we what we've had in the past we are seeing a slight uptick uh more recently but it's still very low in comparison to what we'd seen previously and so so i think overall you know the all the the measures that were put in place uh the, the layering of the measures uh really worked and we're able to get things under control and we're really it's really now we're you know we're we're in that sort of endemic phase where where it's just you know ongoing circulation of this virus as as well as uh influenza and the rsv virus and so it means that we've got uh you've got to be cautious but but i don't think i don't think we need to be overly concerned we got one more minute with uh, Thomas Tenkate, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University. Uh, last fall, deep into the fall, we had, you know, we still had COVID was a bit of a concern. The flu, obviously, you know, flu season was, was starting. RSV was, you know, the, tri- the tridemic was a factor. Is that much lessened this year? Is there any great concern about the flu or, or RSV returning? Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, we're, we're expecting that with the colder weather coming in later in the uh, later in the fall, that and that's you know sort of the RSV and flu season really kicking off. You know, that that's going to sort of ramp up things. So that that uh, tri, triumvirate of of those uh, respiratory viruses uh, will be circulating, and so it's it's definitely something to keep in mind and and, and basically, you know, sort of maintain those uh, you know those. Good practices of, of you know masking if you if you are sick uh, and if you have to go out, uh, but if you are sick, try and you know try and stay at home and and you know and wash your hands as much as possible as well. Common sense certainly applies, especially when the colder months are at hand. But hey, we're in August. We'll, we'll continue to celebrate the summer season. Thomas, appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks very much, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thomas Tenkate is a professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Taylor Powell, high snap, fakes the pitch, hands it off. James Butler runs up the middle. Touchdown, Tiger Cats! RJ Broadhead, the call on the Ticats Audio Network and 900 CHL. The last game out, it didn't go so well for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They ended up losing to Montreal. And just a days, a few days later, uh, we all learned that the Ticats were making a switch. Offensive coordinator Tommy Condell is out. Scott Milanovic is in and will be the play caller from here on in. And, and, and fans, obviously, are eagerly anticipating how the team is going to fare offensively, especially under the new uh, coach of Scott Milanovic, in the second half of the CFL season. Orlando Steinauer is the head coach and president of football operations with the Tiger Cats and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Coach O, good morning. How are you? 
Morning, Rick. How you doing? I'm good. Hey, it is the birthday of hip-hop. Do you have a favorite hip-hop tune or album or something that got you amped in your playing days or maybe even in your coaching days? Um, You know what? Just a fan. Just a fan. Like, I'm a music fan. I like all genres, but hip-hop is something I grew up with uh, since I was little. I don't have... Uh, an exact favorite, obviously, listening to Run DMC growing up mm-hmm. and the Fat Boys and just all the all the classics there. And then it's it's come so far now, but um, it's nice be, that it's being recognized. Yeah. Oh, the, when you said the Fat Boys, man, I had a 35 record that was just the bomb. I thought these guys are amazing. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so you made you made a switch on your coaching staff. Uh, Tommy, Con- Tommy Condell is out after a, a decade with you. Scott Milanovic was in. Why was now the time to make that switch? Well, it's it's always tough, and I think um, you never know. It's never really a great time, but it was time for. Uh, we felt it was time for a change, and this was you know with the bye week and everything here, Rick. This was just uh, the time that we chose. Scott Milanovic is in. He's got an incredible track record uh, of working with quarterbacks. He was a head coach in the league. He's won a great cup as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator. What do you see in him that could move the ball, so to speak, forward for this team? Well, you, you can't make moves like this recklessly. And, you know, you can't you're not always able to acquire, you know, quality, uh, if you will, or experience, however you want to phrase it. And so. You know, the fact that Scott's uh, willing to step into this, this is a tall, a tall task, right? Uh, he's walking into a situation where, you know, it's he's dealing with a quote unquote third string quarterback who's now our starter. And, you know, he is a little bit familiar with us from training camp and whatnot. But, you know, it's going to unveil itself over time. And so there's no way that uh, Scott's going to be able to implement, quote unquote, his offense and the way he would do things if he was here from the onset. Uh, but he will be able to put in little little wrinkles and little tweaks each week. And so I just truly believe it'll unveil itself over time. A lot of fans have asked me, so does this mean the Ticats offense is going to drastically change or even change a little bit? And I've said, well, listen, I mean, the, the playbook is the playbook, and a lot of teams have the same kind of playbook. It's the way teams implement it and scheme from team to team or week to week that is that really you know signifies that difference. What kind of difference do you anticipate? Well, I just think the biggest difference, obviously, is just going to be the way the game is called, right? The plays are going to be the plays. Uh, most of the teams, I'd say, you know, we all run a version of the same plays, uh, at least half of them or so. Um, but I just think that, you know, obviously the the points of emphasis, um, everybody calls the game a little bit different. That'll, that'll, that'll be different. As far as, you know, seeing changes of, you know, we're going to be – you know, air the ball out. We're going to throw it deep this many times a quarter. We're going to be in more tight end sets. We're going to be in more empty sets. Uh, that Those are more game plan specific things. And as we draw closer to Labor Day, of course, uh, the iconic matchup of the Argos will be at hand. The second half of the season is here. What is your focus in the last 10 games of the season? Obviously to win ball games, but from a team perspective, what kind of improvement do you want to see game in and game out? I just want to see us take the ball away and take care of the football. And when we, when we have opportunities to uh, punch the ball in, we got to find a way to get that done. When we have opportunities to take it away, we need to consistently do that. And we've done it periodically. We just need to string it together consistently. And then you, you nailed the biggest thing. The biggest thing is to show up uh, 
to sh- have it show up in the win column. I know you mentioned Taylor Powell. A lot of fans are concerned about Bo Levi Mitchell and Matthew Schultz and their injury status. Do you have an update on either of those guys? Yeah, just they're they're on course uh, right now. You know, it's there's there's a long term prognosis, and then there's the the weekly update. So there's nothing to update. Neither one will be available this week. And that's what we're most concerned with now. We're putting everything else behind us and, and really looking forward to this Edmonton game uh, this week. Well, we uh, wish you the best of luck. August 17th, it's uh, this coming Thursday. It's also uh, Darren Flutie's going to be in the house as he's added to the Wall of Honor, which is going to be exciting. Coach O, thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of the week and the weekend, and uh, we'll check with you next week. All right. Thanks, Rick. Orlando Steinauer is the head coach and president of football operations with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They're sub-500 right now, looking to... Turn the page as we get to the second half of the season, and that second half begins, well, I guess after this Edmonton game, because this game is game number nine coming up on the schedule. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. But it might just be an awesome weekend for you to head out to King's Forest Golf Club because, well, it is a, it is a gem in this community. I was going to say a hidden gem, but it's not really hidden. A lot of people know about it. A lot of people talk about it. A lot of people love playing golf at King's Forest. And lo and behold, this year is the iconic golf club's 50th anniversary. Kyle Gibson is the head pro and director of golf with the city of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kyle, good morning. How are you? Hi, Rick. Doing good yourself? I'm good. Happy anniversary. Thank you very much. What, uh, what plans are in place to celebrate? Yeah, we have a large 50th anniversary shotgun golf tournament we're going to be running on Sunday, August the 27th. We're going to be having members from the last 50 years basically coming together to celebrate the golf course. Uh, We have six original members that have been here since day one, and we have members that have been here, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So it's going to be quite a day. Wow, six original members. So for 50 years, they have been teeing it up and gripping it and ripping it. That's right. A few of them were actually here day one, a couple of the first tee times, and uh, yeah, they've been here every year since, so it's pretty awesome to still have them around. That is pretty cool. How is the course playing these days? Um, we're having a great season. I think most courses in the area with the rain we've been having are going to be in good shape, uh, but our grounds crew is doing a phenomenal job. Um, in the last couple of years, we've never seen the course in better shape. It is, without a doubt, one of the best public courses in Canada. In fact, I think a few years ago, it was ranked number one in the country. What has made King's Forest so uh, appealing to to golfers young and old? Yeah, that's correct. Um, we were the top municipal course in Canada. Um, I don't know if you've played here or not, but we're very blessed with the property we have. It's extremely scenic, just carved through the forest. Lots of wildlife, challenging layout. We have the Red Hill Creek running through six of our holes. Um, You would not expect this type of a golf course when you think of municipal golf. Not at all. And yes, I have played Kings Forest. It is challenging. I'll leave it at that. It certainly challenges me. Yes. Uh, What's your favorite part of the course? Do you have a favorite hole or just a, a, a dynamic aspect that really charges you up? Yeah, I really like our back nine. As you go through the 11th, 12th, 13th hole, Really tricky holes carved through the forest, um, but extremely beautiful holes. Um, on top of that, I mean, just the wildlife around here. We have mm-hmm. all kinds of turkeys, deers, foxes, coyotes, you name it. You're going to see it usually every round of golf. You're going to see different wildlife as you're kind of wandering through the forest. Yeah, it is a, a cool experience. I mean, the, golf is the main draw to 
the the chorus, but the, once you're there, the chorus just you know grabs a hold of you, and it's so much fun to play. We're chatting with Kyle Gibson, the head pro and director of golf with the city of Hamilton, as King's Forest Golf Club celebrates its 50th anniversary with a big bash on August the 27th. How can people get involved in that anniversary celebration or just become a member at King's Forest? Yeah, absolutely. If people want to become involved in the celebration, they can feel free to call our pro shop or email myself. Um, We'd be happy to have anybody involved. Um, If you're looking to join the golf course, feel free to, again, call the golf course, stop by or visit our website at hamilton.ca slash golf. And you'll be able to find all our membership rates and availability. Do you you have a funny or interesting story about the course or maybe a player on the course or something weird or wacky that happened? Um, We'll just kind of circling back to the wildlife we have. uh, We have a really large turkey population, um, which gets along quite well with the golfers. Probably about seven years ago now, though, we did have two menace turkeys that used to chase golfers around. (laughs) And once you started to get scared because they're pretty big birds and run from them, they'd run at you quicker. Um, and it became quite funny. It actually made uh, the spectator. There was an article of one of our volunteers being chased around by the turkeys. So <laughs> that was pretty entertaining. But other than that, I mean, we just have a great time here. It's a really good community of golfers. Um, we really love doing what we do. The uh, the turkeys are a different kind of hazard, I guess. Yeah, normally they're pretty friendly with us, but we did have that brother, those two brothers. They like to pick on the golfers, and they could see the fear in your eyes, and they'd uh, they chase you around <laughs> again. Are they still on the course? They're not. So I think they've moved on. Their brothers and sisters and cousins are all here now, and everybody kind of gets along well. That's amazing. Golf has certainly changed in the last 50 years. How has this course changed in the last half decade or half uh, century? Yeah, our course has developed quite well over the last 50 years. Um, With the introduction of the Red Hill Express, um, that certainly rerouted the Red Hill Creek, which changed our golf course quite a bit. Um, It did change us for the better. So now we have the creek running through six different holes. It used to run through the golf course differently. So it's made it a little bit more challenging. And then obviously over the last 50 years, our golf course has matured quite a bit. So it used to be little trees. Now you can see why it's called King's Forest. There's Mm -hmm. some very mature trees out here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In in terms of golf technology, we're hitting it further. And and for many people, we're slicing it further. Um, Has the course changed in that regard? Have you lengthened it or shortened it in some areas? No, we haven't done either. Um, I think that just kind of the general layout, when the Matt Broman, the city of Hamilton Parks foreman, designed the course, he did a really good job of understanding what the forest was going to do as it matured. Um, so as golfers have gotten longer, the golf course has gotten tighter as the trees have gotten bigger. So distance isn't necessarily a benefit out here. It's You need to really hit it straight. I know you mentioned that uh, you're favor- more favorable to the back nine. Do you have a favorite hole on the course? Yeah, our uh, signature hole is our 11th hole. Um, When you tee off, it's about a 150-foot drop. Um, So you really see a whole lot of the city. It's a beautiful background. Um, That's going to be my favorite hole for sure. It is a nice hole. It is an amazing course, and it celebrates 50 years. On on August the 26th, this King Forest turns uh, half a century old. It's going to be a great celebration. It is an amazing course. Kyle, uh, kudos to you and all the staff at King's Forest for doing such a wonderful job of maintaining and um, just making it the iconic course that it continues to be. Thanks for the time, and uh, good luck with the celebration. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Kyle Gibson is the head pro and director of golf with the city of Hamilton. 50 years for Kings Forest. That is truly a great celebration.
And uh, not only will the celebration be great, but I, the golf is fantastic if you've never been out to King's Forest. Yes, it is challenging, but it is just so picturesque. And for a municipal course, my gosh, they've done a wonderful job. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is one of my favorite stories of the show. Listen to this. So this is an IPF world record attempt in the 84 kilo Masters four division. As she powers that back up, locks it out, and three white lights. That is a new IPF 84 kilo Masters four world record for Linda Rosso. That is, yes, a new world record at the North American Powerlifting Regional Championship in Grand Cayman by our next guest, Linda Russo from Bimbrook. Linda, good morning. Congratulations. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm feeling very happy today. We should also tell our listeners that uh, you are a grandmother and you're 69, correct? That is correct, and I will be 70 on November 2nd. My gosh. So at 69, as a grandmother, how in the world did you get into powerlifting? Well, it started as a back injury. I was off work for three years when I worked for Dawn Patrol Child and Adolescence. And what happened was I started going to the gym to gain some strength and to figure out what muscles are connected to what muscles. And I discovered everything's connected to everything and uh, started doing that. And one day I saw a lady named Krista in the gym and she picked up a lot of weight. And I thought, wow, what's she doing? I want to do that. So I ran up to her and I said, what is that you're doing? And she said, powerlifting. And I knew absolutely nothing about it. I was almost 59 at the time. But I had decided that I would like to try that, and that's how it started. So what drew you to it? Was it just the fact that seeing another woman doing it? It was the fact that I realized how the muscles did all work together, and I actually liked doing the heavier weights when I started doing rehab. It's like, oh, I I like how the heavy weights feel. I thought, this is fun. So well, that's what started it. And, and you're still doing it because it's fun, but you're also in major competitions. And by the audio clip that we played uh, from yesterday's competition in Grand Cayman, you're doing quite well as well. Yes, yes. And uh, that was a surprise because many of the athletes have switched from one sport to another. So, you know, maybe they were in gymnastics or, um, you know, something like that but I didn't really have any background. I just decided that I wanted to do it. And previous to that, there was no athletic background. Well, that's an amazing story. Linda Russo is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, a Binbrook-based powerlifting grandmother who is 69 and still breaking world records. How much longer do you anticipate to go in this sport? Well, I'm thinking of 75 right now, but I follow some people on Instagram. One lady is 80 and another one is 84. Uh, Nora Langdon, she's an American and she's just an amazing lifter as well. And they give me inspiration and they also make me feel like I could keep going. And I am still getting stronger. So, um, 
right now I don't have any end in sight. And the next event that I'm doing is I will be going to Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia uh, in October. I compete October the 8th and also October 13th, which will be a world competition in Mongolia. So that's my next step. That is sensational. We have about 40 seconds you're, you're an inspiration to many, including many who have difficulty doing things because of their, whether it's their age or, or previous injuries or they're just, uh, they're not as fit as you have become. What's your message to them? My message is you can do it. And maybe it's not powerlifting, but please don't use age as a reason not to try something different because you can do it. And powerlifting is my passion. Uh, it's great for picking up cases of water, cat litter, everything. It's functional strength. I highly recommend it. And in uh, Ancaster, I have a coach, Francis, Iron Valley Strength and Barbell, who takes great care of me and keeps me going. Phenomenal story, a world record-breaking story at that. Linda, thank you for your time. Congratulations and best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. And it's Linda Rousseau, Bimbrook-based powerlifting grandmother, who's going to be 70 later this year. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.